Hello, and welcome to the OnTech Protective Intelligence Podcast. I'm Fred Burton, the Executive Director of the OnTech Center for Protective Intelligence. During my years as a counterterrorism agent with the U.S. State Department and time spent as a physical security expert in the private sector, I've seen it all and met many fascinating people along the way. This podcast series explores the riveting world of protective intelligence through conversations with leaders in the security field. I'm Fred Burton, and now on to the podcast. Dave Benson, it's so good to see you, my friend. Likewise, my friend, Fred Burton. It's been a lot of years, and uh, we've got a lot of water under the bridge, and we should talk about it. Dave, uh, you and I are former State Department special agents, and literally the last time I was in Atlanta was here for the Olympics, where I know you were our resident agent and in charge of the overall security prep, and I was running protective intelligence operations. So we have a lot of memories from what went right and what went wrong. What do you remember from that night when the bomb went off at Centennial Park? Well, one of the things I remember is that I was freaking exhausted because I'd finally had a decent evening where I got home, had some dinner, went to bed, had just gotten into bed. Then my wife uh, shook me and Dorothy said, my sister's calling. Well, that could be a whole different podcast with my sister's call. My sister-in-law is <laughs> calling me at 11 o'clock at night. And I said, what? She said, something's happening downtown. I said, our crack crew would have told me by now if something was happening downtown. She turned on the TV and ambulances and lights and sirens and they're running it. And in true fashion, because technology was not that great in those days, Fred, it took about 10 or 15 minutes before the command center told me that what had in fact happened, that in fact we'd had some type of an explosion down at Olympic Park. Well, I know. I, I remember that. And uh, obviously, uh, our responsibility in those days were the protection of all the Olympic athletes. And uh, I think we did a pretty good job with that. Uh, we certainly had our challenges. Uh, there was a lot of high-profile athletes during that time period. From a coordination standpoint, as you look back on that, Dave, and I know you put this all together with the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. Yeah. Obviously, you had a lot of headquarters meddling on our yeah. part, right? Uh, what do you remember about that, just from a special event security perspective? Yeah, I think one of the things that really struck me and still does, that we had over 450 some odd law enforcement agencies represented. Wow, I had no idea. So at early, you know, state, federal, local, uh, Bureau of Prisons, I'm kidding, but you name it. I mean, everybody was playing whose badge is bigger. And so it took us a while, maybe a couple of years to, to hit our stride. Once we did, I think we did a nice job. Now, from a planning standpoint, a couple of things stick out. Number one, who thought it was a great idea to put the diplomatic security command post inside the Olympic Village? Right. Because it was so much more secure. I certainly had a piece in that decision. I have to take some of the hit for that because that became a real mess, as you recall, uh, when the bomb went off because I had difficulty getting into my own command center. No, I remember that. I was there uh, running protective intelligence operations from... Uh, that command center and uh, literally, uh, of course, remember the default during that time period too is we had global terrorism or looking at international threat actors, not really knowing exactly who might have been behind that attack. And then just from your perspective in managing this, I know I was running the Intel Ops. What are you thinking about at that moment in time? Because we had so many protective details. And if memory serves me right, 
Didn't we have Princess Anne here as well? Right. That's exactly right. And so the first thing on my mind, Fred, is where are all the DSS details? And happily, uh, pretty early in the evening, we were able to say that everybody was buttoned up or on their way home. Can you imagine if we'd had a large presence there uh, that night? So that was really reassuring. Uh, but as I'm responding, uh, and uh, you know, my Crown Victoria uh, at the speed of light, uh, I every exit, every exit on the interstate was blocked by a Georgia State trooper. God bless them, Fred. But they had their orders, and that was nobody gets off this exit unless you know who they are. So literally, I had to go around in a circle just to get in. We get to the initial screening point at the, command, at the outside of the Olympic Village. I know these people. I've sat with them. I've had a meal, maybe an adult beverage. And they go, sorry, Dave, we got to go through all the car. We got to screen everything. So it might, probably took me two and a half hours to respond, which would have been a 25, 30-minute trip. And I know from the intel streams, you know, we had... Uh uh, our old friend Chuck Hunter uh, yep. assigned to the FBI Joint Terrorism Task Force, and he was instrumental in helping us piece together what happened. And that laser focus on Richard Jewell at the time. Right. Walk me through that from that perspective. Yeah, so I was part of the overall federal task force before, during, and after. And so I remember the initial meeting after the bomb went off, and there was, to say there was pressure to come up with a suspect, uh, Toot Sweet was an understatement. And of course, in those days, Fred, uh, the Bureau uh, relied on profiling. Right. And, and we now know, hindsight is twenty twenty. we learned this at the Olympic Park bombing. We also learned it in the Oklahoma City bombing. Profiling doesn't work for that type of intentional or targeted violence. Hence, kind of the birth a few years later of behavioral threat assessment, which, as you know, I've been heavily involved with. Uh, but so we came up with a profile on an individual, Richard Jewell. And it, it, it fit the profile, but he didn't do it. You know, Dave, I remember uh, that night as well when the bomb went off. And to your point about Richard Jewell and the air quotes profile, we always diverted back to the LA Olympics that our predecessors um, had worked. And we had that police officer that had planted that hoax device, if memory yes. serves me right. So there was that perception that right. this had happened before so the natural default here in Atlanta for the bombing at Centennial Park was to laser focus on security. Yeah, well, I think that's right. And to be fair, initially, Mr. Jewell uh, was a beha behaviors were of concern because he's the one that found the device out of all the security people, all those people there. What's the odds that he would be walking around and find the actual right. device? So the initial suspicion made a lot of sense. Afterwards, however, we did a lot of wheel spinning and we've learned a lot of valuable lessons. And I may say now that uh, a, a man's life was ruined because of it. And of course, the bomber turned out to be uh, Eric Rudolph, right. uh, who many, many months later was eventually captured for that attack. Uh, now, Dave, um, tell me a little bit about uh, what you're doing now and your business as it pertains to the security industry. Yeah, so when I retired from the government, you remember I retired as a director of training for DSS in 07. Great job. Yeah, and I, I, it was the best job I ever had, and certain people within DS thought I'd lost my mind to leave early, uh, but it was time. And uh, I have now kind of uh, zeroed in on the expertise of workplace violence prevention, intervention, uh, stalking, uh, behavioral threat assessment and management, uh, and training, and I just love it because I think it's so relevant, sadly, to the world 
uh, that we're living in that targeted violence is not going anywhere. It's exploding. Oh, my gosh. Uh, it's like every other day there's some sort of uh, mass shooting. And, uh, of course, uh, that just kind of feeds on on this when it comes to just the social media and the 24 by 7 news coverage. And then, of course, the horrific events. You know, we're, we're based in Austin, Texas. Yep. And Uvalde's not that far away. And then, of course, you have that incident. Uh, it just seems to be never-ending, Dave. Is, is there a solution based on your subject matter expertise in this arena? I think it's a great question. And I think certainly there's not a simple solution. And for those of your listeners out there that think the answer is more guns, no, hey, it's mental health, stupid. No, let's fortify our schools. I would submit to you that it, we have to have a more nuanced approach. Awareness sharing information, uh, behavioral threat assessment teams, particularly at, uh, within uh, the private sector, but also the public sector uh, and education, where we can determine and pr uh, take a look at these behaviors of concern ahead of time, assess those, and come up with what I call intervention strategies to either mitigate and in some cases avoid these tragedies. And you do a lot of work in the corporate arena, correct? I absolutely do. Go ahead. Yeah, and, and in fact, uh, uh, some of the things I do that I'm proudest of is being able to build from the ground up uh, threat assessment teams, multidisciplinary teams within an organization uh, that can get together, uh, assess what's the difference between, Fred, between making a threat and posing a threat, the old story that we talked about for years in PII, and then assessing the likelihood that that behavior uh, is going to uh, culminate in some type of violence, and then what do you do about it? Dave, as you look back on your, your very long career, uh, not only as a special agent, uh, but now in the corporate security world, what was your favorite assignment? I think my favorite assignment uh, had to be uh, Colombo, Sri Lanka, of all places, as, as, a, as a DSS agent. It was my first post where I was in charge. Um, as a former DSS guy, you know what that means. Uh, uh, you're, you're the ambassador's uh, security advisor, you're responsible for everybody at post. It was a, in the old days. It was a, it was the old uh, DSS dream come true. It was a critical threat post. One third of the island was under constant civil war. Uh, things were blowing up, and people were getting hurt and killed. Uh, and so you had a tremendous amount of responsibility, but also a lot of gratification knowing that you were able to keep folks safe in very difficult circumstances. And I know, Dave, just from. Uh the joint work when I was running protective intelligence ops for state DSS and you're out there. I seem to recall a visit of PLO chairman Yasser Arafat, uh, which was somewhat interesting. Why don't you recap that for our listening audience? Yeah, I certainly will. I mean, uh, Chairman Arafat, uh, as you know, was a DSS protectee for better or worse for a long time. Always a high threat Always detail. a high Always. threat. The man had like nine lives. Right. He had nine lives. He'd survived an awful lot. And even a plane crash. Yeah, even a plane crash. And uh, he was stateless. I mean, the, from the politics of it and everything else, the, 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 the pistols, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. the Calafea, the whole nine yards. You couldn't make this stuff up if you were going to make a movie. And one afternoon... Uh, as it always happens, like towards the end of the week, I'm in the Atlanta office and the phone rings and it's dignitary protection. And they said, Arafat's coming to Plains, Georgia to see President Carter. I said, when? Tomorrow. <laughs> Thank you very much. Welcome to the Diplomatic Security <laughs> Service. So I sent ace agent, uh, who you know very well, Ed McGrath. Oh, my goodness. One yes. of the best. I used yes. to call him a blue collar agent 
because he was every agent's agent. He did everything that you asked and then some. He was, after Chuck left, he was our first permanent agent on the Joint Terrorism Task Force. Awesome, I remember that, yes. Yeah, so we, so we sent Eddie down the night before with a clean shirt, overnight bag, and I showed up the next day, uh, and we're waiting at the little airfield in Plains, Georgia, and Carter and his detail, and all of a sudden, one of the Secret Service agents comes over to me and says, Agent Benson, the SAC wants to talk to you. So I walked over and he goes, what in the world? And he didn't say what in the world. He said, <laughs> uh, I'm getting reports that Arafat may have landed in Peachtree to Cab Airport, which is just a few blocks from where we're recording this, and clearly nowhere close to Plains, Georgia. And I said, well, who's on the phone? They said, well, it's the chief of police. Now, we had trained him through the anti-terrorism assistance program and all those things. Great guy. And he got on the phone and he said, look at here. There's a Saudia jet on my tarmac. And they're saying Chairman Arafat's in there. What's going on? I said, well, they obviously filed the wrong flight plan. Landed at the wrong airport. Yeah, landing at the wrong airport. Uh, probably a good two and a half hours away, right? <laughs> on a good, on a, if you don't count Atlanta traffic. So being me, and I do have a bit of a sarcastic sense of humor, I said, no. this is what I want you to do, chief. And he's like, he's hanging on my every word. I said, I want you to go up to the plane. He says, yeah. I said, they'll probably throw the doors open and they'll probably throw a body onto the tarmac. That would be the pilot that screwed up the flight plan. <laughs> but, you know, just carry him away and there's this silence and he went, you're pulling my leg, aren't you? I said, yes, <laughs> Chief, I am. Just tell him to turn around. And so they finally showed up at Plains, Georgia. Well, the whole idea was Carter uh, was, was like, for the lack of a better term, christening his elementary school because it was going to be part of the federal park system. So we're all in this little classroom in the auditorium. And President Carter gets up and he goes, I want to thank uh, Chairman Effat for coming to see me, coming all this way. You know, we, 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 we've been through a lot of things together, and I have learned something today. Chairman Arafat tells me that Atlanta and Plains, Georgia looks virtually identical from the air, <laughs> and Arafat was not laughing. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so, uh, that, but that's a true story. You can't make that stuff up. Unbelievable, unbelievable. Well, Dave, I certainly thank you so much uh, for being with us today. I know you came up uh, primarily to chat with us, so uh, it's been an honor, a privilege, and you've been a great friend over the years. Well, I, I, I appreciate the camaraderie and the support. Uh, you were kind enough to come on my paltry little podcast, and we had a great time telling lies. I look forward to doing it again. And uh, kudos to you for the work and your mentorship and what you're doing for the, uh, bringing back protective intelligence uh, in a new and meaningful way. Uh, I think that's really important uh, in all the sectors. So bravo to you. Well, thank you so much for that, Dave. As you and I both know, being uh, Inman hires from the 80s, uh, yeah. we had the privilege of standing on the shoulders of giants. So thanks for being with us today. Always a pleasure, Fred. Take care. This episode was brought to you by the Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. Learn more at ontic.co slash center. Again, that's ontic.co slash center. It was produced by AJ McKeon. Our music is a track called Monte Verde Ride and was written by Brian Bristow and performed by Smokin' Novas. Check them out on Spotify. 
Please remember to rate and review our podcast on iTunes and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have questions, we'd love to hear them. You can reach us at podcast at ontic.ai or visit ontic.co slash center for more information. I'm Fred Burton. Thanks for listening.